to get into the Bolivian prison book. We're nearing the end as I'm doing one week of Roddy Roddy Piper and the other week of Bolivian prison. I'm now a vigilante because the doggy got snatched off the street and was found in bad condition is in the RSPCA and I know what suspect mistreated that dog and I'm gonna kill him. I don't care if the RSPCA are fucking asking questions. I'll do my own investigation because I am the vigilante for the dogs. So anyone who harms dogs, I'm coming for you and you're going to get SFS punishment to the forest. You understand me? You're going to get SFS punishment. I think I know the person suspected of mistreating this dog. I know where they live. I'm not too sure though. But I've seen the dog and uh, my mum drove past and seen a dog um, nearly run over. I don't know if that's the same dog, so I'll measure the picture. But I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm SFS for dogs. So, uh, but I think I've seen this dog around my neighborhood a lot of times and it's out of control. And I know a house that lets it out of control. And they're all fucking druggies in, in this fucking house. They all smoke the fucking crickety crickety ready ready double R shit. The base motherfuckers, you know. And they have the fucking one of them that lives there is probably um has his own cut show called um the pedophiles where he gets out his big package and uh he got all his he says beware of the tunnel because the big package is coming for you little ones it's his version of the pedophiles sure it's not make it um because of this tunnel it says the p the he, this guy who lives there and they smoke the the ready rock crack shit the guy who lives there has a, a pedophiles um you know, um, it's not for something to laugh about. And uh, once in the tunnel, someone graffitied, uh, little ones, look out for the big package. Because Samida, Samida, Goda, Samida, the big la, is the, the big la. Yeah, Samida, the big la, has got the big package. And it's going to do the little kids damage. Sick fucking bastard. But they abuse animals. I don't not sure, but it's very, very suspicious because I've se- I think I've seen that dog and it's always out of control. Every time I walk past the house, the dog chases Hershey and tries to uh, fight Hershey. And obviously, I'm never gonna, I'm not gonna harm a dog, but I'll tell him to get the fuck back. Do not fucking ever. Get money with my dog. Do not ever get your little teeth on my fucking dog. Even though I love all dogs, I will not stand for the precious, the greatest dog ever to put the universe, Hershey. I will not stand for that. Anyway, because I will not stand for that and I will crack down on whoever is responsible for that dog's misfortune because it's absolutely... It's just unforgiving. It really is. It's just unforgiving. I mean, how can you mistreat a dog and just leave it there like that when it cannot look after itself and it's you can see its ribs and anyone who does that around my neighbourhood is going to get severely disciplined. And I do not rely on the RSPCA. They want information I'm going to get my own information because SFS is coming to rescue all the dogs out there, whoever they are. It's nature time. Yes, trying to destroy all the wolves and all the bears, but they will fight back one day and they will kill us from starting to control us all the time. Sorry, I think, um,. I've been um, using too much of uh, Guzman's leftover stash. Um, anyway, let's get into some more insane stuff.
the Bolivian audiobook is this week and here we go so fasten your seatbelt or get comfortable get a cup of tea and sit back and enjoy the book here we go Samir was back in the yard almost immediately all excited about something he had obviously forgiven me Oh, Thomas, my brother, I need you to get us something good, he said, moving his hand closer to his face and flickering his lips slightly towards his nose. I shook my head. I can't. I hadn't touched cocaine since being set up and I had no desire to. I was too scared. The Samir, the crazy bastard, said, You can't. Oh, you don't want to, you motherfucker. He placed his hand firmly on my shoulder. I said, I can't. I lied, not wanting him to give an opening. There was a way, but he didn't need to know that. He kept asking though, yes, yes you can. If anyone can, you can. You know all the fucking gods. I can't, I said. You come on, you can. We'll have a party tonight. But party tonight, eh? Sammy's eyes sparkled and his face got that mysterious look again. Everybody shouted, What party? The others turned towards us and started listening into our conversation. I laughed, The Human Rights Party! <laughs> but you haven't got any alcohol! How can you have a fiesta without alcohol? Then Samir smiled broadly for the second time that day. He said, Okay then, Ingeles, English gringos, I'll get the drinks if you supply the dessert. What do you say? He winked at me and held out his hand. It seemed a safe enough bet. There was no way that anyone could get alcohol past the guards. Not even me. Maybe you could persuade one of them to sneak a few grams of coke in, but not alcohol. Even a single can of beer would be difficult to hide. And enough for eight of us. Come on now, impossible. Whatever, Same, we shook hands. What I hadn't reckoned on, however, was that there was already alcohol in Lagula. A whole mountain of it, in fact. The seventh cell. Everyone was in on the plan. Even so, I didn't know how the Brazilian picked the padlocks. There were two of them and they were expensive type, made of thick heavy duty steel. But he did. He was back in the yard inside of 60 seconds. About the same time it took him to hotwire the car. Two of the others distracted the guards while the rest of us transferred as much alcohol as we wanted into our rooms. It was going to be a big fiesta. It was then time to keep the end of the bargain. I sent Pizza Boy to get some toilet paper from the shop. I gave him directions on how to find Orlando Tianda in Alimos and exact instructions on which brand to get. I said it has to be national and pink with a bit of fluff. You know, I don't want any other color, you understand? I handed him five Bolivianos. He looked at me strangely, wondering why he had to go all that way when there were shops that were closer and cheaper. And why do you want to buy national? The guy said, you could buy twice as many if you bought another brand. My ass is precious, Mario. It demands the best, I said, paraphrasing an advertisement I had seen on TV and he laughed. And the charge, charge is yours, I see. This time he understood perfectly. He went off to the pinos to buy a twin pack of pink National toilet paper, which was my code with Orlando for 10 grams of cocaine. When Pizza Boy returned, he was acting strangely. 
He had the toilet rolls, but he didn't hand them to me straight away. Instead, he walked through the yard and into the cell block, clicking his fingers for me to follow him. I then found him leaning casually against the wall, throwing the toilet rolls up into the air and catching them, waiting for me. One of the rolls was bulging slightly, but I hoped that he hadn't noticed. Pizza Boy stopped his little game and held out the package, but when I went to take it, he snatched it back, holding it just out of my reach. I looked at him questioningly. He said, Am I sure? Remain his straight face. I said, You still got the change, haven't you? He said, well, What about the rest? What do you mean? What rest? You don't have to lie to me, Thomas, he said, bending in the pocket in the middle to reveal a small cut where Orlando had inserted the bag of cocaine. I just said, just give me what's fair. Don't try to snip me out of cocaine. I had to give him another ten believing yours. That pizza boy was a fast learner. I had trained him too well. He was heading for promotion. He would definitely make sergeant one day, maybe even governor, and his wedding fund was coming along nicely too. It was one early, but the party, the fiesta, got on the way immediately. We went into the common room and took it in turns to stand at the end of the corridor, keeping watch for the guards. It had been weeks since anyone had touched alcohol, so we were drunk very quickly. But the coke sobered up us instantly. It made my mouth go numb for the first time in months. After such a long break from sniffing coke, it felt the same as it had the very first time I tried it. I felt euphoric. I even found myself talking to George Fiasco and not hating him at all. And once we were high on cocaine, we could keep drinking as much as we liked. Gradually, the lookout became bored. When it was Gino's turn, he kept returning to check on how we were doing, staying longer and longer each time to join in on the conversation. Finally, the post was abandoned entirely when Samir refused to do his shift. That crazy motherfucker. Just as our party was getting into full swing, the delegation from the Bolivian Human Rights Assembly arrived. Gino who was seated next to me with his back to the wall, was in the middle of telling a joke about the presidenta's life. When the others looked up suddenly, we didn't need to turn around to know someone important was standing behind us. We could tell just by their expressions. Gino was clever. He pretended that his sudden pause was deliberate and carried on telling his joke as if nothing had happened slowly moving the bottle of rum under the table. Following his lead, I slipped a bag of cocaine into my undie panties. However, the others were stupid. They scrambled madly to hide all the beer cans. The human light visit was only short. They inspected the bathroom earlier, tested the water, checked the conditions in the few of the cells and looked inside the exercise yard. I came. The head of the delegation then told the guards to leave the room while he interviewed us privately. He wrote down our responses on his notepad. He asked, Did they give you enough food? Looking over the cooker where we had put some rice on the boil to make it look like we were preparing to eat. None of us seemed concerned that the water had evaporated and the rice was burning. We obviously weren't starving. We nodded our heads. Somebody asked, How often they say to the guards let you out? All time, all day, sometimes. Chapaco was sunburned. Sunburned. He was sunburned. 
Do you have any specific compliments? He asked, concluding his investigation. I said, none whatsoever. In fact, we are all really enjoying solitary confinement. He must have noticed something was going on. He was far too happy for prisoners who had spent several weeks locked in solitary confinement. He didn't say anything. But I wondered what he was going to write in his report. Whatever he wrote wouldn't have made any difference to us anyway. The president of the Bolivian Human Rights Assembly was later taken off a minibus by the policia in view of the public. Arrested and beaten. The front page of the newspaper showed him sitting in his hospital bed recovering. He knew the names of the policia who had beaten him, but the high-ranking officers who have ordered the beating were never charged. If he couldn't protect his own human rights, what chance was there of him protecting ours? After the human rights delegation left, the guards locked us back into our cells and left for the night. Each of us still had the private stash of alcohol, so we kept drinking. I still had the cocaine in my underwear. After a while, the others started coming down. Samir said, Thomas, can I have some more? What the fucking more, man? His cell was next to mine, so I split the remaining stuff into two bags and made what the Bolivians called a pista by tying a shoe to the end of the bed, sheet, and swinging it back and forth out of my observation hatch, like a pendulum. Samir couldn't catch the end. We tried several times. I even stood on the pile of clothes to get my arm further out, but it still didn't reach. Or maybe Samir was too drunk. Then he mumbled something I didn't understand properly. What did you, what did you say? What uh, And I asked, what did you say? But he seemed to say the same thing again. He kept saying, just a moment, just a moment, I'll come out and I'll get it. Just a moment, I'll come out and get it. Yeah, just a moment, I'll come out and get it. I leaned my head against the top of the hatch, trying to see what he was doing. Suddenly, there were two eyes in front of me. Less than two inches from my face, I got the shock of my life and jumped back. Thinking it was the guards, my, sum, my stomach sank. I was busted. I was holding a beer in one hand and the bag of cocaine in the other, with no time to hide either. However, it was not the guards. It was that motherfucking crazy bastard Samir. He had somehow broken out of himself. He said, Quick Thomas! Quick Thomas! And there he kept saying, Give me the cook! I handed him the bag without thinking. I didn't even have time to ask him how he had escaped before he had sniffed some and was off, banging on doors, offering everyone cocaine, the crazy bastard. He's like, do you want a line? Do you want one? Do you want one? He kept coming back to my door, tipping some coke onto the skin between his thumb and index finger and holding his hand up to me, Brazilian style. I said, no, what if the guards come from me? I'm the one who give you the coke anyway. You're from me, so why would I want more? I've got my stash as it, must, as it is. So why are you asking me that stupid question? Samir said, Fuck you, man. You, you do this, my cook, man. This my cook. You want some or not? You want some or not? I said, Are you crazy? As he sniffed it, he said, Yes, I'm crazy. Before disappearing again. The crazy Samir spent the next few hours out of his cell running riot in the solitary confinement section. At first, the others thought it was funny. But then they started to lolly. They would be held to pay if the guards found that we had stolen and drunk their alcohol. Samir became worse. He yelled he spilled beer everywhere. He banged on our doors to officers more cocaine. He threw pots and pans against the wall in the kitchen and smashed whatever he could find. Then he broke into the seventh cell again to steal more rum. 
We pleaded and pleaded with him to get back into his cell, but he wouldn't go. There was no way of telling Samir what to do when he was drunk. It just made him more determined to do the opposite. I hid the empty beacons, pushed the remaining bag of cocaine through my tiny crack in the roof and pretended to be asleep like the others. No one could possibly have slept, or apart from all the cocaine we had taken, everyone was worried about the guards. As soon as the sergeant opened our doors in the morning, we ran straight for the bathroom to dispose of the empty guns in the toilet block. There was a concrete slab you could lift up with a shaft underneath leading down to the sewage pipe. There was already a pile of guns at the bottom and we disposited it, disposed it after the human rights party. But the drain stank so much that there was little chance of anyone wanting to search there. Chino came to me and said, What a night is here, huh? Sighing with relief. We had got away with it. Everyone looked at each other and smiled. Everyone that is except for one person. Chapki, Chapaco asked, Where's he? Where's he? We all knew who he meant. We had been so worried about getting busted ourselves, we had forgotten about the crazy Samir. Chakim Chapako said, Quick, let's find him before police are door. We laced out and looked in the exercise yard and in all the shower stalls, but there were no sign of him. They even boosted Ramiro up to have a look on the bathroom roof. But he shook his head. Chino suggested, Check under the benches. We already did. I said, Shit, he escaped. Let's clean ourselves and fix up these bacons. Drop some toilet paper all over the top of them. Once the guards found that Samir had escaped, they would do a full-scale search. The sergeant on duty didn't suspect anything at first. He was an old guy who talked about his family a lot and he was always nice to us. He was also easy to trick. When Samir didn't answer his name at the list yard, we slugged our shoulders and then followed the sergeant at Samir's cell, pretending to be just as surprised as the guards was. None of us had bothered to check in Samir's cell because we had seen that the door had been padlocked from the outside when we got up and the sergeant had needed to unlock it. In fact, Samir hadn't escaped at all. The sergeant swung the door back and there he was, lying fast asleep like a lazy fucking bastard in his bed, fully clothed with his mouth wife open. Cocaine! On his mouth and nose, the room smelled of beer and vomit. It was only then that I saw how Samir had gotten out. The bottom corner of the metal door had been prized back and he had slid his way underneath through the small gap. He must have given up on the idea of escaping then crawled back in there before the morning. I nudged Gino behind the sergeant's back and pointed to the door. But he nodded that he had already seen it. He was concerned about the empty bacons all over the floor. The sergeant said, What happened here? Shaking some up. Why? Won't he wake up? He still hadn't spotted the doll or the bacons, but it wouldn't be long before he did. Chino said, He's sick! Can't you see he's sick? Pointing to the dried vomit on Samir's chin and clothing turning it to our advantage. We called out all night, but no one came, but I wasn't on duty last night. The old sergeant said, 
While Gino continued to distract him, the rest of us blocked his view off by beer cans and fussing over Sami. I said, someone should get the doctor. The sergeant said, listen, I don't think he's breathing properly, you know. I said, well, if he isn't breathing, take him to the doctor. I give the sergeant five believe news. Please, can you go? The other guards won't listen to us. It could be serious. The sergeant left and came back with the major. The mayor and the major, whatever you call it. By the time they arrived, the beacons had disappeared and all the traces of vomit had been wiped away. But the mayor was suspicious. The first thing that he noticed was the door, which we hadn't been able to bend back into shape. The mayor said, How did this happen? He demanded, studying our reactions carefully. I said, I've only just started my shift. I mean, the sergeant, I just started my shift, and that's how I found him. Thinking that the mayor was referring to Samir. Chino said, He was already like that from before. The mayor was no fool, so there was no point in pretending that we hadn't seen the door. He then moved forward to check Samir. The first thing he did was to touch Samir's shirt, which was wet where we had wiped it. Then he smelled his breath. The mayor paused for a moment, considering what to do. He said, this prisoner is sick. He announced, standing up to his full height. Call for a doctor. I already have Mia, said the sergeant. Well then, what are all these prisoners doing in here? Get them out of my sight. When the sergeant had his back turned, the mayor pointed to Chino, Chino and Chapaco and said, You and you fix this have a problem here. He meant the door. Sami had got away with it. Luckily, that mayor was... One of the men he stole cars for. The next time, however, Samir wasn't so lucky. Samir was sick all morning, but by the afternoon he was well enough to make it out into the exercise yard. As before, we were sitting together on the benches against the wall. Although this time feeling tired and very hungover rather than happy, the sunlight was as bright as it had been in the previous day, but the air had turned cold and dark stone clouds were beginning to form on the horizon. The first thing on that crazy Sami's mind was organizing another fiesta. He came first thing he said to me, Sami, Thomas, we miss a mokokena. Not even using cold. I shook my head and told them that I was too sick. They could get someone else to do it. He said to me, Sami, But you have to! You fucking have to! We have a celebration, a fiesta! Don't you understand, Thomas? I said, I can't get any! You are a liar! Sami said, Thomas, and I know there's some left. Anyway, you got no choice. He said over his shoulder as he walked back into his cell. You have to join me, Sami said. I said, why is that? I called after him. Because it's my farewell party, Thomas, you know. As the guards were locking us back in our cells, there was a distant rumbling of thunder from the direction of the mountains, and I heard the first drop of rain falling on the metal roof. I lay down on my bed, relieved that I could get some more sleep immediately. I noticed that there was something hard underneath the mattress. I lifted it up to reveal ten cans of beer. Sammy! I ran to the door and looked through the flap hoping that one of the others might still be out of his cell so he could help me get rid of them. 
The corridor was empty. Everyone had been locked up. I said, Samir, I called. I heard laughter. You bastard! The others at the door too, wondering what was going on. They had discovered similar presence hidden in their cells. The loud hissing of a bacon being opened and shaken everywhere could be heard. Laughing like he accomplished something really big. Cheers, my friends! <laughs> Samir laughed on, spraying beer out into the corridor. Let's celebrate this fiesta! It's last night in prison. He clinked his gun against the metal door. There was more thunder this time, very loud and very close. The type of thunder that clacks all around you and then comes up through the floor and shakes the whole building. The storm begun in the earnest. It was the perfect night for an escape. After the next thunderclap, it began raining properly. La Paz was built in the valley, with its main road running over the top of the river. For most of the year, the river was dry. However, when there was a tormenta, a big thunderstorm, it could last for days and water in the streets sometimes built up to flood levels, washing away everything in its path, including people and cars. It seemed that this was going to be one of those storms. The flashes of lightning outside were so bright that they lit up the corridor inside the cell block. Water began falling into streams from the roof. It was like I was in the Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio. Filling the exercise yard, sending a small trickle into the building. As the rain poured down, we began to party again. We had to party. We couldn't call the guards claiming that we were all desperately needed to use the toilet. Besides, it would have been impossible for even one of us to hide ten full beacons under his clothing. Our only hope of not getting caught was to empty the guns, crush them and pray that we could get them past the guards again in the morning. We couldn't tip the beer into yielding buckets because they would smell of beer. So there was no other choice. We had to drink the evidence. None of us were in the same room, except from the Velascos. We had a series of individual parties going on, with each person standing at the door, drinking on his own, and yelling into the darkness in order to be heard above the howling wind and the sound of rain pounding on the metal roof. It was the crazy night from the very beginning, but it got crazier with the store, and Samir got crazier with it. Samir was like a caged animal, strong and proud and full of energy. He didn't really understand things. He didn't know why he was locked up or what he had to do to get out of it or even where he would go if he did. But he wouldn't sit still and wait for them to open the cage. He wanted to get away from the thunder. Every time it cracked around us he went into long periods of silence, pacing up and down, pacing up and down. These were followed by fits of screaming and yelling. When he kicked and punched at the door. As the night wore on, Samir became louder and louder. It wasn't before, long before he was drunk and yelling abuse through his window. As he became nausea, the rest of us quieted down. Worried that the guards would hear something. They hadn't come for their midnight patrol yet. Then Samir screamed, Thomas, I need some cocaine! I pretended not to hear him because he knew I was listening. Throw it to me or I'm coming to get it from you, Samir said. The Major should have made Samir change cells that morning. His cell door had already been bent back once 
so it's even easier for him to get out the second time. In a few seconds flat, he was pounding at my door, pounding on it really hard. I said, I haven't got any cocaine, I told him. Go back to your cell, they'll kill you. The guards would do any minute. If they found Samir out of his cell, we would all be busted for sure. I knew that Chapaco, who was in the cell closest to the guards' post, was listening out for them, but there was no way that he would hear them coming with the wind howling so loudly through the cell block. Come on, brother! Come on, brother! Samir pleaded, pleaded. Look! I said to Samir, I brought you, I got none, but Samir said, I brought two more beads, we'll swap, just a little bit, come on. I said, I don't want any more beer, I said, grabbing hold of my window flap in case he tried to force them on me. I didn't give him any cocaine either because it would have made him worse. Samir didn't give up, there was absolutely nothing I could do to make him go back to his cell. He was drunk and would have stayed there all night arguing with me, so eventually I closed the door flap and laid back down on my bed, hoping that if he ignored him he would go away. He didn't go away though. He stood at my door yelling at me to give him the cocaine. It was hard to know whether to stay quiet or try to reason with him, because the longer I didn't answer him, the more violent Samir became. He began smashing my door with his fists again and again, chanting like the child at the top of his voice. Kukana, kukana, yukiru, kukana. Then suddenly his tantrum stopped. I sat up in bed and this and instantly, intently, <coughs> all I could hear was the sound of the storm raging outside. There was also a leak somewhere in the roof that was dripping water onto the floor. I hoped that Samir had gone away, but I doubted it. That motherfucker was up to something. I went to my door to have the look. The corridor was empty, but I knew Samir. He didn't give up like that. Suddenly I heard scraping sound and looked down. Look down, Samir's fingers were poking under the door, trying to get a grip around it. I said, what are you doing? Samir said, you're my brother Thomas. Thomas, you're coming with me. His voice straining as he tried to bend the door back. I said, no, it's too dangerous. I struggled to slide his fingers off, but they were locked on. Quick, Samir. The guards are coming. But that didn't work. Samir yelled, I don't care about the guards. We're leaving here for good. Finally, I managed to unhook his fingers, but then they reappeared. Further along the door, I prized them off again and then blocked the gap with my feet. That did not stop Samir. However, because I could only cover the part of it, we struggled like that for a few minutes, me pushing his fingers off and him sneaking his fingers under again. It would have been comical if it wasn't so serious. Two grown men on either side of a locked door finger lessening through the gap underneath. But the guards could come at any moment, you see. And when they found Samir trying to rip my door open, not only would they find the beers, but we also would be both busted for trying to escape. <coughs> Samir cried out. I trod down on his fingers and get my weight on them accidentally. But now I didn't accidentally. I did it intentionally. Do you promise to stop? I hissed through the flap. Samir's like, Get off me! Get off me! Ah, promise! Okay, okay, promise! But as soon as I released them, 
Samir flew into a ridge again and started kicking my door over and over. The metal reinforcement held strong, but the sound reverberated down the corridor. The guards must have been able to hear it. Even above the noise of the storm, he kicked harder and harder until the door was dented and the whole flame shook, splintering the concrete dust over me and onto the floor. I finally gave up. Samir! Samir, basta! I give you the coke. You can have it all. He stopped kicking. I said, here, take it. I said, holding empty cams wrapped in a plain t-shirt up to the flag. Get rid of them and I'll give you the stuff. Somebody said, give it to me first. Still banging his fingers against the metal again. More chunks of concrete fell on my head. I thought I heard the door opening and closing out of the exercise yard, but I kept my nerve. Sami said, No, throw these out first, then I'll give you. Throw the out first, give me the coke first. And I said, No, throw this bacon out first, and I'll give you the coke. I said, squeezing the bundle through the flap. Sami took it and then put his hand for the coke. I gave him the whole fucking lot. Samir, as he calmed down, said, Are you sure you don't want to come with me? He asked, changing back to his normal tone of voice. I said, I can't. He then muttered, You English coward. Then he turned and walked down the cell block, banging at his door, trying to persuade his occupant to escape with him. The others pretended to be asleep. He then shouted, You little cowards! You are cowards! He yelled at the top of his lung before heading off to his escape. Even though the storm was in full force, I could hear Samir throwing things around in the kitchen again. He was smashing bottles and singing something at the top of his voice in Portuguese that sounded like the national anthem. Then I heard him jumping about the bathroom roof. There was nothing more I could do. I cleaned up the mess around my door, drank some water, and chewed my last piece of gum. Then I lay in bed wondering when the guards were going to come and what they would do when they found Samir trying to climb the wall. I kept listening, but I didn't hear anything more after that. Only the rain pelting down against the metal roof and the doors rattling as the winds and blasts of cold air along the corridor. I figured that Samir had given up and crawled back into his cell. But he hadn't. He was still out there trying to escape. The only thing that saved him from getting caught straight away was the weather. It was so cold and wet at night that the guards decided not to leave the station for their regular midnight patrol. The exercise yard they had to cross was ankle deep in water. They didn't come to check on us until morning, but when they did, we knew about it. I was awoken by a heavy blow to the chest. The storm had almost completely died out, but I hadn't even heard them come in. The guard said, get up, get up. As the guard struck me with a wooden button, I put my arms instinctively to protect my face and the stick cracked loudly across my forearms. The guard said, get up, get up. Against the wall right now. I did exactly as I was told as fast as I could. These were two guards, and one of them sounded familiar, but I hadn't had time to look at their faces. The guards had faced a wall. I clasped my hands behind my head and pressed my forehead against the bricks. That way, if they struck me from behind, my nose wouldn't break. The guards said, Now you don't move. I heard one of the guards leave while the other's one began sifting through my possession, turning my clothes inside out and throwing them across the room. It was obvious that they 
had discovered that the seventh cell had been broken into. In the corridor, I could hear the other inmates being searched and heard it out of the cells and into the exercise yard. The guard said, Out! Get out! Outside now! The guard in my cell stopped the search and stood to attention when a man wearing heavy boots came to my door. Nothing on this one, Major, he reported. Are you sure? The voice belonged to the different mayor from the previous day. The one they called the Devil Mayor. He was the cruelest of the officers at San Pedro. He had cold green eyes and he never smiled. Whenever he walked past, prisoners became nervous, even if they weren't doing anything wrong. Nothing. I searched everything twice. The devil mayor stepped slowly into the room. I could feel him right behind me and hear his breathing. I braced myself for another blow, but it didn't come. He said, Angelus, tell me what happened here last night. I don't know, mayor. I promise. The mayor said, Who was involved in the escape? It wasn't me. I was asleep, mayor. He asked a few more questions. Each time I kept my answers short and polite, none wanting to give him any excuse to hit me. Turn around, Ingeles, he ordered. Then to the guard. Smell his breath. The guard stepped right up to my face, commanded. Breathe out. He shook his head. Nothing, Mayor. He sounded disappointing. When he stepped back, I finally saw who it was. I knew that his voice was familiar. It was Pizza Boy. I was ordered to stay standing against the wall, and they locked the door behind me when they left. One of the officers was accounted for in the courtyard lineup. They were returned to the cells. No one was fed or let out for two days. Nothing more happened to me, except that they took away my television. The others were beaten for drinking. Samir was beaten into within an inch of his life for trying to escape as well. The first thing the guard noticed in the morning was piles of sand and rock in the bathroom area. Initially, they probably thought the damage was caused by the storm, but when they saw Samir's door was bent open, they raised the alarm, thinking there had been a breakout. That was when the guards raced in and started beating us, but Samir hadn't escaped. This time, he had fashioned the planks of wood from his bed into a ladder, but still couldn't make it over the wall not even placing his ladder on the bathroom roof. Instead, he began burrowing through the wall, using only a knife and a spoon he had stole from the human right lunch. There were two walls. Somehow he made a small hole through the first wall, only to find the gap between them was filled with sand, which started pouring out all over him and all over the roof. The hole got bigger and the sand didn't stop flowing out. With all the weight piling up, the roof collapsed. Crashing into the bathroom below and sending sand and dive leaves flying everywhere. This is it. Samir made it back to his cell where the guards found him in the morning, unconscious, with sand all through his hair and clothes. Since he was already in trouble for attempting to escape, Samir tried to take all the blame for the stolen contraband, saying that it was his birthday and he had convinced others that they had permission to celebrate with him. The mayor believed didn't believe his story, but he punished them 
as if he did. Throughout the day, the police took it in shifts to beat Samir. Between turns, they let him rest, but then another group would come in and start beating him all over again. The first few times, Samir fought back, kicking and punching at anyone who came near him. I heard several cries from the police as he lashed out, all the time abusing and threatening them. Samir said, you are bastards! I call human rights! The police laughed and kicked him harder, saying, they already come, Samir! Reinforcements arrived. Between them, they managed to pin him down properly and handcuff one of his hands to a water pipe that ran through the cell. Samir said, Injalas de putas! I'm going to write a letter to the parliament telling them everything about the cars. With only one free hand, he was an easy target for the group of police However, even with severe concussion, Samir, the tough crazy bastard, did not give up. He still had to use the use of his legs and scored a few more kicks on them until the devil mayor returned with a plank of wood and smashed Samir's teeth in. After that, only screams came from Samir. Samir was tough and had a lot of determination, but the mayor was tough and had the plank of wood. He was going to teach him a lesson. Over the period of hours, they wore him down. Eventually, they broke him. And then, once he was broken, they kept going. The house spread out into punishment complex, pacing through the walls of La Grilla into the main prison sections. I blocked my ears, but I still heard these, his cries of agony. I have never heard such wrenching, blood-curdling screams in all of my life. Slowly, very slowly, they were killing him. It was unbearable. I shouted, enough, please, no more, you're going to kill him. I pleaded, but they kept hitting him, each time until Samir was unconscious. Then they would revive him by spraying a fire extinguisher in his face. Eventually, he stopped screaming and began sobbing. The mayor said, you want to cry then? He threw a canister of tear gas into Samir's room, closed the door and left. The canister was designed for use against street rioters. Indoor, the gas dispersed very slowly. When it reached my cell, I could hardly breathe. My lungs felt like they were on fire. I had to rinse my eyes and kept them closed for more than 10 minutes to stop them from exploding. It must have been much worse for Samir. After the tear gas, we heard nothing more from him. I said, Samir, talk to us. Are you alive? Just make a noise. We all took it in turns to call out to him for more than half an hour trying to get a response. Finally, we heard him moaning. Samir, you alive? You okay? I yelled through my hatch. He didn't answer so I called again. Eventually, he managed the proper reply. Oddly though, he didn't even talk about the beating. All he said was, Thomas, they didn't find the coke. We still got the coke. We can still have another fiesta.